Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Sirat Sohi, writer for Yahoo Sports and one of my favorite guests. And we talk a lot about the James Harden trade. Shouldn't be a huge surprise there. And get into some other stuff that she's watching around the league, including the Suns and the Warriors towards the end. But we talk about the trade from the perspective of all four teams and what we expect to see moving forward. Lots of great stuff here. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. We have talked about doing this for a couple weeks, but it just so happens that we know exactly where this conversation has to start, and that is with the gigantic trade that happened almost 24 hours ago, where James Harden is now a Brooklyn Net, and a bunch of different other players and pieces are moving to other places, and I think that there's a lot to talk about in terms of all four teams, but naturally, the place to start here is with Brooklyn, but there is so much to unpack here. Yeah, Brooklyn lost Jarrett Allen. Um, I really don't know how they're going to recover from this. Cavs sweeping in. By the way, I have to say, I know that's not what we're going to actually talk about, but the Cavs being the team that sweeps in and gets Jarrett Allen for nothing did not have that on my bingo card. Really, really smart move by them. Even if it means they have a million big men, they're obviously going to make some trades. So I'm sure we'll, we'll get into talking about that, but shout out to the Cavs. Yeah, and, and the Cavs angle of this is definitely interesting. And there I, there are a lot of different ways to think about this, but something that I'm so thankful for the NBA is that you you develop these crazy ideas, you know, like you and you and I both love thinking about the league and the sport conceptually. And you know, it's kind of like, okay, how far can things go? And we've had different examples of that, whether it's, you know, like some of the big heavy lineups that have existed or, you know, playing three guards like Rick Carlisle's done at times. And, you know, I had thought about the experiment that is Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant playing together, these two dominant isolation scorers who can both shoot so you don't have some of the diminishing returns. And then it's like, oh, no, let's just try something completely new and have three of these guys together on the same team. And I more honestly, more so than like my current thoughts on it, I'm just excited to see how this works out. Me too. Um, I think if history is any lesson, we'll obviously get into how it could look. But when you get stars like this coming together, it usually ends up being something you haven't seen before, which is obviously exciting. One of the things that I think makes it very promising is all three of these guys have had to do this before on some level. They nothing as dramatic as as you know them all getting together but you know you've had Harden obviously before he became an MVP and that obviously you know that I imagine that changes a man but uh, you know you've had he's had to come off the bench before when he was with the Thunder um and you had Kyrie with LeBron obviously KD going to to Gold State those two probably have had more experience with it than than Harden or at least more meaningful experience with it which means they have the tools right like Kyrie can screen he can pop so can KD they're good at moving off the ball um Kyrie I think is a little less willing at times I think he's more likely to want to like you know you take, take the bat take the basketball and kind of just create whatever he wants with it um but KD has shown some willingness obviously there has been some friction with that too in terms of what the best style of playing basketball is it seems to me that Steve Nash is somewhere in between where the Warriors were and where Kevin Durant's head was when when those discussions were going on I really enjoyed watching them play so far um, in the games that they've been able to play for. By the way, the Nets, looking at the Nets statistically, is it, like it's just such a lost cause. You can't do it. Every single thing that I feel about the Nets, like it's coming from the eye test. So I guess take it with a grain of salt because like e- either you put on like crazy filters and it becomes like super small sample size or you just look at these lineups like, like, like you know, don't have Kyrie, don't have KD. Obviously, Kyrie, like we don't really know if or when he'll be back. Um but yeah, like it's it's difficult to to discern. But like when I have seen them together, um, they've looked really good. They play really well off of each other. There's t- there's tons of shooting on the floor, and I almost wonder like you know Harden will probably have the hardest time adjusting, which probably also means that he'll have the most touches. And that I, I it it almost feels seamless to me. I feel like that can work. Like have Harden probably like ends up organically leading the team in touches. KD is great weak side off the ball screening. He's never really I, – I don't know that he's ever been 
probably actually with the with the Warriors, but you know, with 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 Westbrook and and in general, Katie has pretty commonly been a guy who hasn't had the most touches or the most looks on his team, despite being historically one of the maybe maybe the greatest scorer ever, maybe the most unguardable guy I've, I've at least personally seen uh, from a scoring perspective. Um, and I would obviously love to see more of that. Like, there's I think there's just so much more to be untapped with with Katie, uh, but he can do it. He's suited to it. Um, Kyrie can if he wants to. Harden would probably have to do the most work, but there's enough, I think, malleability already built in with a lot of these with with uh, with these three guys that it. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic, and they chose this. I think that's a big part of it too. Like they they will probably want to make this work because this is what they wanted, and I think that's a part of it as well. I think that's a huge part of it. And you and I have spent time over the years talking about the kind of the interpersonal elements of basketball, and I think that those are extremely important anytime you have a lot of established elite talents come together. Now, like I've always thought of it that the the two different ways that this can work. One is the players kind of grew up in the league together. So you could think about the early Oklahoma City Thunder as as a version of that where they weren't as good as they became and so you got you you developed friendships and interpersonal stuff and so you're willing to sacrifice for each other. The early OKC guys are an example of that. The Warriors are an example of that. And then the and like you could argue Spurs culture, Heat culture to an extent are are examples of that too, though they've changed things around. It's a little bit different. And that, so that's one one path is like you basically you you grow into larger roles. Uh, Bill Simmons used to use the example of like famous bands that grew up together, like the Beatles and U two. I think that that is a, that is a model. The other one that is exceedingly important, and that's where you were going with this, is where the players choose each other. And I think that there is a level of accountability that comes with that. Of basically, like, hey, you got what you wanted, and you had to have known that that was going to involve some some modification and some sacrifice, and. The fundamental challenge with that approach over time is you could sometimes forget that a little bit more. Like it's not as ingrained in you because it wasn't done over time. It just happened in a moment, whether we're talking Miami's three guys or the Clippers, we'll see what happens there or anything else. And so it's going to be fascinating because you have all of these players who the like basically you can only you you can only split the ball so many ways you can only split the touches so many ways so how will they handle it not only now like i think it'll be fine in the immediate just because it's the you know it's driving the car off the lot it's the honeymoon period all of that but a year and a half from now when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving let's say it's those two guys just like we're so good why are we spending all this time watching James Harden dribble and there will be inevitably those times and so how these three forces and the coaching staff and all the other players on the team respond to that later on like how does this wear how over time it's it's an unknowable i think right now especially with these three individual people but it is so fascinating yeah, it is definitely unknowable. Um, James Harden is the guy we don't know a lot about. I don't know much about what motivates him. I don't know, you know, what his his reasons are for for playing basketball. I don't know if he. I don't know why he wanted off the Rockets. I don't know if he enjoyed, you know, dominating the ball, or if he felt like he had to. There's a lot of different things that with with Harden that we just we just don't know a lot about him. Um, and I think that makes it a little bit difficult to assess too. But what we do know is that. He wanted to to join this team, and I think James Harden. Presu- like I, I would presume that James James Harden knows a thing or two about basketball. Like he will know that his whatever he does in in Brooklyn is not going to be what he did in Houston. That was going to change no matter what. So I, I think I think that's just something that you know I'm, I'm sure he understands that. Yeah, and I don't know how much Harden cares about legacy, but it is true that this is a chance to recast it. Now we know what yeah. the next few years with the Rockets would have been like that if it, it, whether he was engaged or not, that it would have you know the team would have been decent but not really threatening. I think that we got a pretty clear mark of that in the. 2020 playoffs when they you know they they squeaked out a series against the thunder and then got crushed by the lakers 
and you can be fine with that or you can not be fine with that. I mean, that's it's a very, you know, that is, again, a very personal thing for James Harden. But now, in his early 30s, he gets the chance for a fundamental, I don't know if it's a second act, but it's a different act. And it will require buy-in from him. And I and that buy-in is, I mean, you think about the offensive end more because that's what all three of these guys are most dominant doing. But it's going to, at some point, involve some on the defensive end, too. And I'm so intrigued, but also just genuinely unsure how it's going to work on that end, because... There's all this stuff that's happened over the last few years, and Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni get a lot of credit for building a team and building a scheme around the unique strengths of James Harden and trying to mask his weaknesses. Mm -hmm. There's only so much of that that can happen now, even though Mike D'Antoni is a part of the staff, which makes this so interesting. Yep. Um, and so reunited. basically there is this theory that has been going around that maybe it's not the only way that Harden can succeed, but the way that he can most succeed is with these very specific parameters. And now six months after Mike D'Antoni coached James Harden the last time, and now he's an assistant, obviously it's Steve Nash's team. They can't do that anymore. Now, maybe they can in certain lineups, maybe Harden plays without the other two. Maybe they do do some of that. And so we get to see all of these conceptions, all of these ideas that had persisted with Harden and, oh, that's the only way he wants to play. You can't win that way, even though they got tremendously close to an, to an NBA championship with largely playing that way when they had Chris Paul. And so all of that now, it, you know, we're not seeing age 28 James Harden do all that, but we are seeing something pretty close, like assuming he can get his body right and everything else. And I genuinely never thought we were going to get to see this. That's uh, Yeah. The question of how much James has to do this, that it's the only way to succeed, is, is the one that I'm most interested in. Because I think that's one that the Nets will inevitably have to answer. And, and, and James will inevitably have to answer. Are there specific parameters required? Maybe. I think in Houston, probably, with the way that they play, um, especially if you want Harden to, to be taking all the shots and, and, and uh, you know, really carrying the entire load there on offense, that naturally means he will probably be playing a little less defense. So, yeah, like, they move, they move like, less than any team in the NBA. Right. Um, and Harden doesn't move a lot. That's probably his biggest weakness on defense. It feels funny to say, like, yeah, he just doesn't like to move, you know. Um, but at the same time, he's a great post defender, and I don't think you really necessarily want to isolate against him, even in space, just because he's he's big enough that he covers a lot of space, and he's strong enough that he can kind of keep you, like, you know, you're not really going to, like, barrel into him. And while there are going to be some speedy guards in the league, I, ironically, I think Kyrie Irving would, would have been one of them, um, that are going are, are gonna to make life hard for him. There aren't a lot of those guys, especially in the East, actually, like that that they really need to worry about too much. Um, like the NBA is just kind of going away from the small guard in general. It doesn't like you know, like Steph Curry can give him a hard time, Damian Lillard can give him a hard time, CJ McCollum can give him a hard time. Those guys are in a different conference now, though. And I guess like, the point the point that I want to get to is that it, I don't think it has to be as as concrete as whatever it was in Houston. Um, he was in a very specific situation that roster was built, uh, basically with. Like, like you said, maximizing him in mind. Um, that's not going to be the case here. First of all, he's not going to have that load that he had on offense. Um, and he's got different defenders around him. Like uh, K- the way KD covers space is very different than I think the way that, you know, PJ Tucker covers space, you know, not in anything for or against those guys, both terrific defenders, but um, it's different. And I think you want to take advantage of that. I've, I've been thinking about it in my head a little bit more. And I almost wonder, like, just having K- – like, obviously, like, the Nets switch a lot right now. So Harden can pretty seamlessly fit into that. But come playoff time, and maybe there's something they want to practice before, throw, before they throw out. Like, can you can you figure out a way to get a zone, like a matchup zone, where, you know, you keep Harden in the middle? So it's like, okay, you want to take advantage of Harden? Sure, yeah, go ahead. But – you're also going to do it in a way that our better defenders are going to be crammed as closely as possible to the ball handler. And you also, now you have to deal with Harden in the middle, which is a lot harder. Like if you, you want to post him up, like that's, that's not very smart. You want to try a line drive. Like there, there's, there's a lot of different ways to, ways to combat that too. 
Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if they can't like kind of figure out a different way to do it. Cause I don't think that's something that Houston really experimented with enough. Like they switched everything, which can look like a zone, but like if, if what you're trying to do is, is keep him from, from being in positions that are going to make him, make him weaker. It's like, okay, well that's usually like, that's for him going to be like on closeouts where he's on the move, um, which in certain teams, like you're kind of probably always going to have to do that. Uh, again, in the East, they're just like probably against Miami. I think Miami get, and, and Boston probably give him the most trouble. Um, against Philly, you can figure it out. I almost kind of wonder what it would look like if you just have like James Harden guarding Joel Embiid straight up for a couple possessions. Like that'd be kind of interesting. Um, obviously, you don't want him doing that all game, but it's 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 a fun thought to think think about. Like, hey, what like what would happen with that? Um, like, does he have enough girth to kind of like make it tougher on on a guy like Embiid get into his base? Um, and the thing with Harden is like when the more you have him on a guy, I think he's so cognizant of the fact that people think he's a bad defender that he's he's like a better defender on the ball because he knows that like the camera is on him. So if you can keep him off the ball as much as possible, I think you can actually like build a reasonable defense. And I think that's what they need. They need a reasonable defense. That often no one's I can't I can't think of a single team that will be able to stop them and also ha- be able to exert enough energy to score at the same time. I think I was reading. I was listening to uh, to Nikias and Steve Jones' new podcast before, and they kind of went through the line. And I think, first of all, like listen to them. I'm so glad that they're they're smart, so I don't have to be. Uh, but looking at them, I think Boston probably has like the best shot at, at defending them. They have probably like the most natural defenders suited towards it. Queen Tatum, Smart, Jalen Brown. Um, like you have a mix of strength and quickness there that that is really required. Like there aren't a lot of teams that are suited to stop both Harden and and Kevin Durant. Um, because they they both just require completely different things uh, to defend, and even at at the best of times, aside from Ludor, of course, who can defend anybody, but he's in the West, so doesn't really matter. Um, they're uh, they're not really. I don't. I don't. I just don't. I don't see. I don't see anybody that can solve this puzzle. I guess is uh, the long and short of it. There isn't a clear one. I they're not in the same conference, but I think the Clippers might have the best personnel just because yeah. of, of Patrick Beverly and Kawhi and PG. Incidentally, yeah, they, that, that has some experience with with some of that, some of those challenging matchups. But and and mm-hmm. they could theoretically play a rim protector at the five, depending on how which way they want to do it. And yeah, I mean, it creates so many different different matchups and different possibilities. And like we've seen, for example, Houston at various iterations, what they've primarily focused on was get your get your best creator in the most advantageous matchup and have them go to work and this Brooklyn team has ludicrous possibilities with that approach but it's not the only thing that they have to do and they they can do a lot of other approaches and yeah where to put Harden on defense is one that I think is interesting I mean they could even try something sort of like the 2-3 zone that Miami was running at various points in last year now they don't really have the top of the speed the top of it the way that Miami did with with Derek Jones and uh, various other players at the top you know like the like putting the strength there and then putting Goran Dragic and Duncan Robinson in the on the on the edges but there are different That's ways why Jerry, Jerry Allen by the way would have been Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. They're they're they lost a lot by by losing just just yeah. in terms of functionality, and that is the the part of the part of this from Brooklyn's perspective that I think is the most striking is they threw basically every conceivable chip in on this deal. So Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, all of their first round picks, like they're they're basically Stepien ruled. That, that's the restriction that that basically prevents you from being without a first round pick in consecutive years. The Brooklyn Nets, I haven't run the exact numbers on it, but it would be exceedingly difficult for them to trade a first-round pick for like seven years. And so this is this is their team, and that is a good thing if you're good enough and if everything makes sense and everything works together. But other than picking up players for the minimum, and I think there will be players that are very interested in Brooklyn when you consider the opportunity that is presented, that it will that it will be difficult, and so that puts a lot not only on the three stars but on. DeAndre Jordan, Joe Harris, Landry Shamet, like all these players that are now thrust into, you better be great at whatever it is we ask you to do because otherwise it's going to be hard. And then the other crazy factor in all this is Spencer Dinwiddie's an incredibly good player. He is out for the year and then will likely be an unrestricted free agent. So that brings a couple different things. One, can they trade him as a team that's really interested in getting his bird rights and maybe Dinwiddie can show inclination? Like he can, he can actually wield more control in this, but it's also like, who wants to take on a guy that is out for the entire season and give up value for them? So like, yeah, maybe you could think of a Dinwiddie trade if the, if the Nets want to do it as a way to make them better. 
but it's hard to imagine it making them that much better. So what I mean by that is this, I think overwhelmingly, this is their team other than some buyout guys. And that puts the onus on every single person there to try to make it work. Yeah, they definitely lost a lot of depth. And I think, and I keep bringing up Jared Allen, you probably, you probably would have had to give him up, right? Like it's, he was, he was there. He was quickly turning into their best asset. But first of all, like, just on Jerry Allen for a second. Like, this is how, this is how cruel the NBA is. He's obviously playing incredibly well. He's showing that he is, is definitely a starter. He's strong. He's versatile. He's exactly what you need if you're contending for a championship. He's starting to expand his offensive game. He's a perfect role man. And, like, the, the, the roadmap ahead of him just looks endless, right? Like, you're going to make a deep playoff run. A whole bunch of people are going to find out who you are. Like, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to catapult your value, and then you're going to be a free agent. You either, you know, either you decide to, to stay because you want to – you know, fight for a championship or whatever. And like, you probably have to take a pay cut um, or you go get paid somewhere and you probably make a ton of money. And now you're in Cleveland. Yeah. And not, not which, only, you, you like, I mean, Cleveland is a, a unique challenge for Allen because they traded for their starting center last year. And now yeah. I think that that this could be an indication that they would rather have Jared Allen. And there's also for Cleveland, the fascinating dynamic that both of those guys are pending free agents, Allen restricted Drummond unrestricted. And so maybe mm-hmm. they try to play both sides of it and say, Hey, we'll keep, we'll keep one of you. We'll whichever one is the better kind of value type of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, for, for Allen, I mean, the other kind of crazy twist of fate to throw in there is he was playing well and then the team brings in two stars great two stars that his game fits beautifully with oh mm-hmm. but they they're they're taking less money to bring in this other guy that they're super close with who plays the same position as you and is worse than you and so that is a very real challenge as well that he had to deal with and then i i looked to me like alan was outplaying jordan that mm-hmm. steve nash knew it and that's that's kind of where they were going and so now, not only... He's becoming good enough that they didn't have a choice, which, right. like, that's significant. It, it totally is. And teams have to make different decisions when they're trying to compete for a championship. And I think we saw the Nets going in that direction. That's the right thing to do. But it is it is a very real challenge. And so and now Allen is in a different spot. But also, like, from the Nets' perspective, this is kind of what I was getting at before, is they don't have a lot of other options. Like if DeAndre Jordan doesn't work there, now they can play Durant at center, they can go to some of these like incredible offensive lineups. And Durant, you know, he can be a great weak side guy. They're they're depending on what scheme they're doing, it can work. And center is the easiest position to get somebody off the scrap heap. And we could see some really talented players take buyouts, potentially to go to mm-hmm. Brooklyn or elsewhere. There are lots of other places those guys could go. So it is a challenge for them to deal with. I mean, to me, DeAndre Jordan hadn't looked, you know, he hadn't looked like the player that he was early in his career. And that's not a surprise. I mean, athletic, athletic centric players at any position generally age poorly. And I mean, DeAndre to his credit is looking better. I thought he was washed when he was in Dallas. And I thought that he did. He looked a little bit better than that at moments in time, but simultaneously Jared Allen was better than he was. And so, it's something that Sean Marks is going to have to deal with, and something else that's so that's so crazy about this trade is the Nets got a lot more expensive, and the other part of this is that they opened up roster spots, and now they're going to have to fill those, and I'm guessing they're probably going to have to fill those twice because they'll probably want to add players now. But then if Brooklyn can get better players on the buyout market, I guess Joseph Sy is just willing to you know cut or trade those players and then sign new players. That is actually really interesting. Um... DeAndre, I don't, I don't mind him on this team just because I do. I think you need depth because you need versatility. Like I'm not, I'm not one for depth, depth for depth's sake, especially in the playoffs. Like you realize a lot of those guys aren't going to play. But I think DeAndre will find himself having spot roles, especially as a lob threat. He's going to have a ton of gravity in the paint, kind of in a similar way with like to to the Lakers last year with Jabale and Dwight, where a lot of the times in the playoffs, like as as things got later down the line, they couldn't play, but they were actually quite useful. I think in like Dwight was quite useful in, in the Houston series, um, just as a third rotator in in the paint. I don't know how DeAndre would would slide into that role um, on defense, but on offense at least, like when you have three perimeter oriented players, it's good to have somebody who commands attention in the paint and you can throw easy lobs to. Right, and um, these guys can all just, pass. It's a lot like... of it's it's easy exactly exactly, and they're bigger. Like other than Kyrie, like Katie and, and Harden are big playmakers, right? So 
they can play, you know, they can kind of dominate vertical space, like again, like the Lakers did, which um, they're not, you know, they, they aren't that same team this year. They're kind of, they're figuring, I mean, the Lakers are fine. Lakers are fine. Yes, they, yes, they <laughs> are. Just, that's, just, that's just one thing that they, that they just don't have as much of, of, of this year. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I do think that they, they they're going to need something in the front court because I don't think you can just have KD be the person you rely on. Like, on on those defensive matchups where you're going to need to need to play a little bit faster. Um, obviously, he can do it. I just don't think you want him doing it all the time. But the fact that he can do it also makes it a little little less of a problem. I think that like that allows you to get away. And on the same token, with Harden too, like the fact that you have Harden allows you to get away with having Jeff Green kind of take a lot of those reps in the in the regular season. Uh, what do you think about? I would love like I'd love to know a like who you think some of the good buyout candidates will be for them. Um, but also, like, what do you think of of, of Trevor Ariza eventually eventually going there? Because I think I think he's definitely a candidate for he is you know, a he candidate. Kind of feels, he, feels, he feels and he fills a lot of the holes that they have. Yeah, Ariza's. I mean, he's kind of you could say to an extent kind of fallen by the wayside just because he's on. It, it appears that he's pretty firmly on the Andre Guadalla path, where he's not going to play for Oklahoma City, but he might play for someone else, and that is. That is obviously, you know, important. Uh, I haven't really gone through it yet. The part of the challenge, and so the way I always, when I when I do like bio predictions, and you know, as somebody who has written about the Warriors for a long time, this has been relevant for them for years. Is what you're looking for in a buyout player is someone who is a pending free agent, obviously, like that's a, that's a mandatory part of it, but who also it, the 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 quality that they provide is not relevant to their current team, and so the the big challenge that is that is different for the season is that now 10 teams make a version of the playoffs. So you by the, how many teams are going to know by that buyout deadline? I'm not sure I know the exact date, but let's say let's say it's like in March just cuz everything's been pushed back. How many teams are going to know in March that they're not going to be one of the top 10 teams in their conference? And I think the answer is probably not that many. And I mean, so like you could bring up like, oh, maybe if the Bulls aren't good, Garrett Temple could make his way back to Brooklyn. And I think Temple, you know, a capable a capable defensive guard, but who can do more offensively than somebody like Bruce Brown. That could be an interesting option for them. Uh, they could maybe, I mean, centers depend, kind of depends on where things go. I don't think Charlotte would just let Cody Zeller go. I think that they're going to they're gonna want something something more than that, but it is a possibility. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting question um, of like, oh, who on those kind of weak teams is going to be there that's something i will definitely write about it at some point i don't think i'm i'm quite there yet um but it is it is something that they will use to improve over time uh let's let's take a little bit of time though to to work through the other teams here and from let's let's actually instead of starting with houston we can finish there indiana's decision here they basically you know there are some seconds involved but those don't really matter they traded victor oladipo for karis lavert and there is the on-court factor and the contractual one i mean this trade push for indiana's perspective it pushes them under the luxury tax but also gives them a player under cost controlled for under cost control for another couple years uh so we can focus more on the encore thing. What are you thinking about Levert's fit with the Pacers? Yeah, I was kind of wondering how things would shake out with uh, with Indiana, just based on you know we know we know Victor kind of wanted out and um, he's expiring, but things have been quiet on that front. I think for the Pacers, it's great because you don't lose him for nothing, and now you have a young budding, I don't know if you want to call him a star, semi-star, all-star potential one day type of guy that you can fit into, into, uh, into this team. And I think it, it puts them on, it puts them all on the same timeline on court. I'm curious to see how it works. I think there's definitely some dissonance with how Karis plays and, and how the Pacers play. They obviously move the ball around a lot. Sabonis leads the NBA in touches and Malcolm Brogdon is not far behind. So it's just like a lot of, a lot of them just, and it's fast. Like, it's not like it's, it's not like either of those guys are holding on to the ball. It's a lot of dribble handoffs. And like Sabonis is just such a fantastic passer. I think Karras as a cutter is going to benefit immensely from that. I think off the ball, he actually fits in so well because he's had to adjust so many different times in his career. Um, on the ball, I 
I'm curious because I think the Pacers could actually use some of what he brings, especially now that Oladipo is not there um, in terms of just pure shot creation. I just wonder how much of the diet you want that to be. But again, like to me, like I'm just big on versatility. So I'm glad that they had that element on, the, on that team. Um, from here, it's just about kind of finding a way to um, to make it all make it all gel together, which is actually like for all these teams this year is actually very difficult. Like, I, you know, we talk about how the big three and with the Nets are going to fit together. It's like in, in like the Kyrie situation aside, just like how many games are they going to get together just because of protocols and, well, and practices and everything. and everything else, you know, like yeah, how, how, exactly. much time, how much time are they going to get to spend together and and work all these elements out. And yeah, sure. The coaching staffs of the Nets and the Pacers and the Rockets and the Cavs can can do some conceptually. They can have, you know, planning and all that. But some of it you do actually need to see on the court and you need to get these need to get those reps and get the experience. And like there's so much so much about the NBA is about familiarity and, you know, knowing where a guy's going to be getting timing and all that. And it, it is going to be a real challenge for Levert. I'm I'm of two minds of on it. I mean, I think that he does bring something they need, and I'm wondering how Nate Bjorkren is going to incorporate Levert because one of the ways that he that Levert can be beneficial to a team is you know like if you don't have anything else, he can give you offense. And it's been funny that we've actually seen that more clearly in the Nets second in the Nets games when Levert has started and and rather than when he's come off the bench because those are those like basically Levert is the sole starter is the way that I've referred to it where Kyrie and Katie are both off and Levert is playing and there are times that Indiana can use somebody like that and then at like what 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 I'm intrigued by here and there was something that we didn't end up seeing as much as I expected in Brooklyn at the beginning of the year is as a cog in the machine Sabonis is a talented passer Brogdon can function on and off ball Miles Turner you know he's not gonna have the ball in his hands a lot but he can space the floor a little bit so how how does how does the ecosystem work and how does the rotation work so is is there a time that Bjorkman wants to let Levert Cook is that maybe take a little bit of pressure off of some other guys? Do you maybe use those maybe more in the only Turner minutes because those lineups have been really bad offensively, but they've been great defensively. So maybe Levert can kind of raise the floor there, which would be which would be fascinating. Uh, but yeah, and and also like the idea that Oladipo was going to be gone at some point, and I, I I think an important element to remember in all of these circumstances is you know like oh they couldn't get anything else for Oladipo for those who are lower on Levert, and you have to assume that Kevin Pritchard did his due diligence that he's been talking to people about Oladipo. This wasn't the first offer that came onto the table. And that actually, in some ways, you could argue bodes poorly for if the Rockets want to repackage Oladipo, either sending him away by himself or in something else, is that Indiana felt, at least for Indiana's values, which are different than Houston, they're in different places as a franchise, and Indiana wants to be consistently competitive, that this was the best deal for them. And so that would that doesn't mean it would be the best deal for the Rockets or anything else, but it is telling. And so whenever whenever a team cuts bait on a player, you know, like whether that's a young guy that gets traded early or anything else, you always wonder, well, what did that team know? And in this case, Indiana knew what what else was on the table for Oladipo. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult for Indiana because they're in the middle of their life cycle. And I think that's a hard time to make trades. Like it's it's I think it's easier when you're obviously rebuilding, like you know exactly what you want to do, or when you're a contender. It simplifies your it simplifies your decision making a little bit. For Houston, I think they're actually in a similar scenario, which doesn't make things easier on them at all because right now they could we'll see how they'll play, right? I think I think they I think they have a lot of potential to be a lot of fun. I think Oladipo might be just what the doctor ordered in terms of the start to the season for them. Um They'll be able to play more in accordance of the style that Silas wants to play, at least. Um, just you know, faster, defensive. Um, him and John Wall are gonna, you know, they, I'm sure, like you know, they have a lot of potential to rack up steals. Um, you know, Christian Wood can run with them, can defend with them. Like I think they can be a lot of fun. But at the same time, like there's no way that this team isn't going to be middle of the pack for a while. Like, it's going to take some time to integrate, and they're already three and six, so they have an up uphill climb to the playoffs. And do you know if he'll stay? Do you know what he, right. if he, or if he do, wants Or do they stay? even want him to stay? Like, Yeah, so, that's a good question, too. Like, I think it'll actually tell you a lot about 
um, what they value and what direction they want to take things in. Like, do, did they trade for Oladipo because they actually think he's better than Ben Simmons? Or did they trade for him because they want him to expire and they want to save some money? <laughs> right. And, and along those lines, they could have taken Jared Allen in the trade. Like, basically, it, yeah. sounds, like, it sounds like the Rockets would rather have a late first rounder and somebody else paying Torian Prince than Jared Allen. And yes, it's true that Allen and... Christian would overlap and that might not have worked. And he, Alan's, Alan's close, Alan's close to restricted free agency and he's going to be yeah. pro- properly paid or at least close to it. And so that's going to be, and Torian Prince is getting paid a bunch of money for next year. So yeah, I think that's telling for the Rockets as well. And so with Oladipo, if he ends up just expiring and leaving, whether that's going to Miami, which feels like it's been rumored forever or something else, well, then then it does look like a a cost-saving element of this. I mean, they could have got Levert could have helped them too, obviously. I mean, they the Rockets are looking for talent. So we'll learn it from Oladipo's circumstance and then what the Rockets do with the rest of their veteran talent. So yeah. PJ Tucker's on an expiring contract. Eric Gordon is not on an expiring contract, but he could potentially hold value somewhere else. And I don't know. I don't know how they're going to handle this. And so I think the Rockets did exceedingly well in this trade. They they got a lot of investment in a team that isn't looking to the future. So like those could picks could mm-hmm. end up being very good for them. But it is a, and they saved a bunch of money. And if that matters to, if that was how Rafael Stone sold it to Tillman Fertitta, so be it. Um, but but it is a more distant return. It is a, it fundamentally transforms the Rockets into something <laughs> different. Though I would argue it's, they it's might be more so distant. I was like I was writing yesterday. I kind of I left this out of the piece because it just didn't really fit. But it was like it's so long term, and it's like okay, like yeah, it improves in, in the long term. But like you know, in the long term, we're all dead. So <laughs> like, why do I care about a 20, 2027 pick? Why should Stone care about a twenty twenty seven pick? Like. Why should a Rockets fan even care about a pick from seven years from now? Like, it just doesn't. There's a future, and then there's, like, there's a future that just doesn't matter that much. Yeah, that that's very true. And maybe new general manager, new head coach, maybe they have the latitude to kind of wait and see how this goes out. I mean, we saw it seems like Sam Presti's cool with that in Oklahoma City with, with how it's going to take them a little while to piece all this together. And with the Rockets, one Sure, way- but I have a lot more faith in Presti being there seven years from now than I do in, in Stone. And that's not right. to say anything bad about Stone's job no, it's performance. Just, it's just Sam Presti it's feels like, like he has a job for life. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, exactly. And-, and that's very, very, very few people in the NBA actually have that, which is why you actually see less long-term decision-making. But it's also funny, like, at what point in sports do we, like... Are we taking like assets as dubs a little bit too far here? <laughs> like, I don't, right, you know and, I and I think there, I think there is some truth to that. But at the same point, what I really like about this from the Rockets' perspective is also a degree of honesty, which is why I supported the Covington trade as well. A degree of honesty and understanding where they were. Like you d- defining success is really important for any team. And so you can be like some teams. Indiana is actually incidentally in a fantastic example of this that. It seems like their ownership and and management runs accordingly wants to make the playoffs every year. By all means, that is if that's how you want to do it, you can play it that way. It feels like Indiana is going to be in the playoff mix for a long time. Kevin Pritchard's done a great job working along that. Probably not going to win a title. Okay, unless unless you know some of their guys improve. Some teams don't want to be in that place. Some te- and especially some teams don't want to be expensive and in that place. And so trading Robert Covington, trading Harden for more distant assets. It can be perceived two different ways. One is, you know, that you're you're getting cheaper and unambiguously the Rockets are doing that. But the other one is you'd rather be a little bit worse and have a future than be a little bit better and expensive and, and you know, kind of be where you were going to be. And the Rockets, mm-hmm. their path to a championship had, had waned. We knew that. And some of that was... Chris Paul being gone and and Russell Westbrook and John Wall's done better than expected, but you know they weren't going to win a title this year, and that's fine as long as you actually try when the next opportunity presents itself. And you could say, fortunately for Tillman Fertitta, he just became a lot less relevant to people like me because the Rockets aren't going to be in that same mix for a little while now, and he can be. It's it's a lot less noticeable when you're cheap and your team isn't good. 
And yeah, it won't matter as much. Right. You and kind so, of anonymously save this, save this money. Exactly. Know? And so, and, and it's, although it, I don't, I don't know how much you want to be anonymous. No. And then that's a, that's a key question as well. But so we're, we're going to learn a lot about the Rockets. And I think that they will be, as you mentioned, a fun, capable team for this year. And if they lose Oladipo and get nothing for him, then they will become less capable and probably less fun. But they have a lot of assets, though. Regardless, um, well, they do now, which is interesting because, like Daryl Morey, and I'm not, you know, as much as I disagreed with the the Westbrook trade, the Westbrook call Paul trade, what happened? Like they had thinned out their stores pretty thoroughly over the last couple years, (laughs) just like giving, sending picks and deals and everything else. That's not a problem anymore. Like they're they're not they're not flush in the same way that Oklahoma City is, where it's like, oh, you know, like we have we have multiple picks, we have a diversified portfolio, but they have a lot. And it's a good start. It's a good start. And so we'll see if they can get if, – if they end up wanting to move P.J. Tucker and some – Daniel House and some of these other guys. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so it, there's there are a lot of unanswered questions for Houston. And it, it – I mean I think I know where this is going, but I don't know for sure. And it's mm-hmm. also the question of what kind of – like let's say they go in the direction of selling off the things that aren't nailed down. What can they actually get for them? Because if it's if it's like you can't even get a first round pick for PJ Tucker, then you're just dumping him. They're already out of the tax. I mean, it would save it would save Fertitta money, but that would be really telling for me. And what happens with Oladipo and all these other things? Um, mm-hmm. Cleveland. So we talked about Indiana. We talked about Brooklyn. Just one, one like just to stay on that. I'm sure. actually curious um, how I'm. I'm curious what PJ Tucker would demand. I think. <laughs> If you're any team that's contending, I think it would be smart to give up a first-round pick for him, especially a first-round pick that's coming up. I I think that Um, he can help, and also Tucker, he's getting older, and I don't. I I think he would probably, you know, beyond this season, take less to be somewhere that he thought he had a place to roll, to a place to to thrive and to be competitive. So mm -hmm. getting him, getting his bird rights is valuable. So yeah, I, I think that it's reasonable to get a late first for him, but there is the question of which team that is in that kind of mix really really needs him like they're we're moving away from some of the switching schemes we're moving you know like i i think milwaukee would be fascinating but their cap situation is immensely screwed up um there's a theory behind it for a team like boston but like the lakers and clippers i think they're pretty happy with the with the bigs they already have so i don't know exactly where this goes but with tucker i mean it feels like it feels like somebody will come out of the woodwork because that's generally the way it works I think uh, I think it'd be interesting on the Pelicans, kind of depending on what they decide to do. Um, they definitely need the spacing. I think they could use a little bit more, you know, defensive versatility. Hide hide Zion a little bit more. It give them a look. Uh, that's kinda, that's for sure. Yeah, and they have they have all the assets in the world, right? So it, it kind of depends what they want to do. I don't know if it necessarily makes sense for a team like them to give anything up just to to get a guy that you really want if you're if you're a contender, but. That team, that that's a team where I think I they're I, I'm interested to see what they do because you know how good Zion and Ingram look. Their timeline I think is a little bit more. You know they they can extend it. Those guys are very young. Um, but it could come sooner than I think they anticipated. It, it could, and I I yeah ex- exactly like that. That's the, along the ideas of someone will come out of the woodwork. We don't know exactly who it will be just yet. You could you could throw out mm-hmm. different ideas. And uh, PJ Tucker fits within the Warriors um, disabled player exception for Clay Thompson. That I mean, would they give up another first? They have all these kind of like they could even maybe trade out some of the inside of the the deal that they have with um, with OKC. That could be a pot. There are a couple different kind of scenarios mm-hmm. there. So yeah, I, I one think- team. I also just one more. One, sorry, I'm just I just love PJ Tucker. Yeah, one more team that I think. Well, two more teams actually that I think would be really interesting for him are Utah and Phoenix. Sure. Um, Utah, I think could definitely just use like you know we we have the Gobert discussion of playoffs every single time, right? Like how useful he is he on pick and roll. Um, they could definitely use that defensive versatility. I think they could with the personnel that they have. Uh, once you take them off the floor, it's really really easy for them to switch. Um, if they have somebody like Tucker, and same with uh, same with Phoenix, I just think that they could they could use it. I think a lot of teams could use him. Just, Dallas I, Dallas could use him too. I mean, if they could. You talked about versatility. Like they could play when Porzingis is off the floor, they could go to some really different lineups. They have a lot of defenders now. Yeah, yeah. It won't be, oh my god, like Dallas was, between him and DFS, like that could they could really they could really you know put the clamps on. I mean, well, and, man, they could. And, and the approach for- if you're if you're Dallas, you're looking at it like okay, we did not beat the Clippers last time. Why didn't we beat the Clippers? It's because we didn't have like DFS just wasn't enough defensively. You know, like um, 
I think Tucker, Tucker might be a piece that gets you there. Right. And, and Dallas in the early, you know, in the off season, they had this deliberate approach of not want, wanting to keep their powder dry for 21 and Giannis hadn't signed his extension mm-hmm. and all that made sense. Now this class is a lot weaker. Maybe they pivot. There are a couple different ways that Dallas could do so and get guys that you don't ha- that don't have to be a part of the team next year, but that if things work out, you can bring back and Mark Cuban will will spend money. And so PJ Tucker could be a path there. Another guy who could be a path there for Dallas is Victor Oladipo, and theoretically, Ooh. maybe maybe they could bring they could bring him in. I don't. We, again, we don't know exactly what Houston's vision is here, but having Oladipo and then having bird rights theoretically, if the Mavs could get Oladipo without. You know, and then they then they could retain Josh Richardson. There are a bunch of different avenues that that this team like it could be a Tim Hardaway Jr. and asset for Oladipo plays. So then that still saves for two of the money. Hardaway has nothing guaranteed. Now th- there's a risk involved in that. We don't know how Oladipo what what the fit would be and everything else. But it's I mean there are a lot more things that are kind of on the table now for some of these for some of these teams than were before. And then one quick, I just dropping a pin in this, I don't want to dwell on it too long, is both because it takes Harden off the board and because of the price that Brooklyn gave up, the Wizards are looking pretty good if they end up making a decision to trade Bradley Beal at some point in the next year mm-hmm. because he's a very good player and there are teams that are interested in him. There are teams that Bradley Beal makes more sense on than James Harden, even though James Harden yeah. is a better player. So and everyone just showed their hands right now. Right, ex- so. exactly. So I don't know exactly how that's going to work out, but it is it is another data point about this is how much scar it, co- it costs to get stars now and even like I mean you could use the Drew Holiday trade. I mean the Bucks gave up a bunch to get Drew Holiday. And so that is leverage that Tommy Shepard can wield. Mm-hmm. That that is no guarantee that you will get that price and at some point if they want to move him they'll have to make a decision. But we, it's just something that that they have to square up. And I'm wondering what Washington wants to do. And I've criticized them for years. I think that there's been this lack of acknowledgement by Ted Leonsis and his deputies, the GMs, at, whether that's Grunfeld or, or Shepard. There's been a lack of acknowledgement about where they were. But at the same point, if he's willing to be in this kind of mix, then I guess more power to him. That's actually, that's one of the things that I was thinking about yesterday. Uh, I don't know that star trades have ever, ever gotten more close to equal value. You look at Anthony Davis, obviously the Lakers do that one over and over and over again. But, you know, I think so do the Pelicans as well, right? Like, um, you don't usually get an upcoming star of, of Ingram's capability when you trade a guy like Anthony Davis. And that, you know, it says nothing of, of everything else that they got in that trade from like Lonzo and, and Hart to, to future assets. Um, and obviously, like you mentioned, the Drew Holiday trade, the trade that we just saw go down with Harden. Um, it's interesting. Like, and I think, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that like teams are looking far more at each other's timelines. Like, I don't know. If, I don't know if people are trying to fleece, fleece each other as much anymore when there's so many when there's so many people that you could actually do like a mutually, a mutually, uh, like I guess a symbiotic deal with, you know? Yeah, and I, I think Indiana's an interesting example of that here where they, you know, they thought... Paul George, Le- yeah. Yeah, and also they thought Levert made more sense for them than Oladipo mm-hmm. and the Rockets felt differently. And so neither side, I don't think this is, you know, necessarily a disagreement in who's good and who's not. It's just, okay, this player makes more sense for you than for us. And Cleveland getting in on Jared Allen, you could conceive as being a part of that too. Um, we haven't talked much about Cleveland. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on it, but basically taking on an extra year of Torian Prince and giving up a first round pick for Jared Allen when you already have Andre Drummond, it's, it's a swing, but I think it's a worthy one. And I like Jared Allen a lot. I think that he is. And I also think that he fits the timeline for these guys a lot better. You know, like Sexton and Garland have looked a lot better this year, but they're also young. It's going to take them time. And Drummond has impressed me this year. I think he's been he's been better than I anticipated. But if I were to bet on which one of those players I would rather have for the next, you know, the next three to four years, I would pick Jared Allen without a ton of hesitation, even though it's not a guarantee. And then also Jared Allen is a restricted free agent and Drummond is not. That doesn't guarantee Jared Allen's not going to get paid or anything else, but it gives the Cavs a lot more control. So instead of Andre Drummond having them over a barrel, they're in a lot more power. They have a lot more power in the situation. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. The uh, two things. First of all, did you see uh, Larry Nance's tweet yesterday? Yes, incredible. So many um, trees. For anybody listening that didn't see it, he said Sexland was now surrounded by trees. Sexland refers to Sexton and Garland. 
um, which I, is just also amazing. Um, I haven't gotten like I haven't gotten very deep in the weeds with ca- with the Cavs yet. I'm not gonna lie to you. It just they were obviously last on on my list. Apologies, um, but they're obviously like they're I'm again like they're kind of like a mini version of the Houston situation where this you see why they did it, but it still doesn't really get them in a place that makes sense. So it means that something else is probably coming, but this open, this opens them up to to have a little bit more versatility in like whatever they do in the future. Right. And having options is valuable. And, you know, Torian Prince, incidentally, Tony Snell, I think is another example of this, of a player who we think about them more as a bad contract than as a potentially useful player, but Torian Prince, Mm -hmm. useful piece for them to have in the rotation. And the Cavs, the Cavs need more talent. And Cleveland, is in a very specific spot. We don't see trades like this happen as often as I think they should, which is the Cavs didn't have a lot of spending power in 21 anyway. Like there wasn't really a way that they could get there. So instead, taking on a little bit of money for a player who can help you and using that taking on money to add Jared Allen, that's a really good piece of business for them. And it's entirely possible that they just got a better center for 21, 22 and beyond at a cheaper price just because restricted versus unrestricted. So that could end up even being better for them too. Is that like if, and maybe mm-hmm. they get something for Drummond if they want to trade him, not that they have to. So yeah, I, I think I like, I don't love this for the Cavs. They did give up a lot in terms of future spending and giving up a first round pick, even though it's not going to be a good one. So it's, it's not like they got Jared down for free. This is not the Zubots situation with the, with the sure, Clippers. Yeah. But yeah, it is. Still- I just think like when you look at how good Jerry Allen is, like what what pick is going to really end up end up being as good as him? Right, and I, I yeah that that I and think being that's being as point. young and still having a ton of potential as well. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, we've already talked for a while, basically about an hour. Um, but let, let's <laughs> jump a little bit around the league. What is what's really been striking you so far this year? Uh, I've been I've been loving watching the Suns. I've been watching them a ton. I think they're really interesting. Um, they haven't really actually figured out a lot yet, which is probably the most interesting thing about them to me. Have you been like, what, what's your what's your take on the Suns? I've been impressed that their offense has been this productive when their best players are still kind of figuring it out. I mean, like Chris Paul, and and a lot of that is just the adjustment. You know, like. Devin Booker is playing with a ball-dominant player who is better than anybody he's ever played with. Chris Paul, it's a different situation, even though he's played for money before, trying to figure all that out. Part of it is just that Mikhail Bridges has, and, to a lesser extent, Cam Johnson have just been insane, and like they're hitting every shot imaginable, and that will help a team look a lot better. And Phoenix, their defense has been totally capable, and if my, my feeling is that if they had a better backup center, though now that charge is available, they're just mm-hmm. going in a different direction, and more power to them. Like, that can work, too. Um... But I, I've been impressed with them on both ends of the four. I was talking with Seth Partnow kind of in the early part of the season, and they're just they're just a totally like even if it, the like point differential and some of the stuff tones down a little bit from here, they're just a totally capable playoff team that could end up being more than that. I I think of them right now as a team that could win a round, but probably not two, because you think in the Western Conference, in order to win two rounds, you have to probably beat one of the Lakers or Clippers, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. expect that from them. But also, that's fine. Like that that would be like what the the description that I just gave of the Phoenix Suns is such a massive win for that franchise compared to where they were. Like, oh yeah, they could win a round in the playoffs. Like that assumes that they make the playoffs and then are competitive enough that they could actually beat another team. That's fantastic. Oh yeah, I mean this season like it's funny. They're almost playing with house money um just with the fact that like the trade was obviously a good idea, right? Like it really um I think I I think like Devin Booker is an interesting example right now. He's not scoring as much as he was before, which is probably good. Um he's turning it over a ton. Yes. I think that's just getting used to in, everything. I I haven't seen anything that's like, yeah. "Oh yeah, he's just being reckless or anything." He's he's making he's trying things right i think it's i think it's uh i think it's tactical i don't think it's because he's just being reckless like i think they're trying to get him to expand his playmaking um and i think it almost reminds me it it almost feels like they're kind of trying to build like a version of the rockets but with more movement like with more like not not as stagnant but like a lot of you have you have two guys that can drive the ball and you have a lot of shooters by them I think you have to fix that a little bit because a I think you can definitely outstretch Booker's playmaking ability, which is already it's pretty good already. Like that's not, not act, like absolutely. I don't want anybody. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit wary of like of uh, of criticizing Booker because I uh, really like him. Um, I love them Booker. Um, 
but yeah, I think I think you can stretch those out a little bit. I think the extent to which some of the plays that I've seen have tried um, it might be a little bit far fetched for him, at least this year. Um, a lot of you know just cross court passing between too many defenders that just like he's just not there yet. You know, like there there's like some James Harden level reads that he's trying to make, and it's like that's those you know there's a reason that that's preternatural natural and also takes a lot of reps um but at the same time like you know him expanding his game is is obviously a good thing for for phoenix um they need to work Aiton in better though because they're super streaky um and that's because they rely a lot on three-point shooting some nights it's going to go really well and mikhail birch is going to have a career high um other nights he's going to score nine points and you're going to wonder where your offense is going to come from uh i just have it i think having a lot more balance would be good for them and also they have a guy that can do it like you don't want to just forget that you have deandre Aiton just because you know you're trying this uh this new method um it's good to modernize obviously and like he's he's moving in a good direction with the game in terms of his development um they have like a good mix of of i think mid-range jumpers um you probably want to have a few less but when you have two stars like like chris and and devin like you get it and you need that balance and you know let, let them do the things that they're really good at um and and Aiton on some level too but you know I think I think slowly they're going to start to be able to integrate like what the skill set of the players they have is um that goes with Chris too they're not really running a lot of pick and roll um I think that would solve problems for both those players and from there like that's that's what really excites me because I'm watching them and they're already good and it's like you guys haven't you haven't even figured anything out yet you know (laughs) Yeah, and and that's that's generally where I where I am on them and also them starting out a little bit more capable also some of that is just they've I mean before the rash of postponements that they're dealing with right now um they've had more players available than let's say like Dallas like Dallas has been missing all these guys due to injury and Denver's had some had some challenges as well and PJ's missed you know feels like the whole season to this point though that's not true. And so getting out to a strong start and something that we won't fully be able to ascertain yet, but seating is going to matter. We just don't know exactly where you where you want to be and how much it's how much home court is going to matter because some of that will depend on whether fans are allowed in the stands and all that, which we don't we don't quite know yet. Uh, I know that I know that you've been watching the Warriors as well. I've you know they they haven't been as much my focus because I'm not going to games for you know COVID reasons, but I'm still watching them a fair amount. They're on late and they're they're a fascinating team and. I've I've generally like it's interesting because the season started so poorly with those the demolitions in the first two games on national TV. But after that, I think they've kind of now they're looking more like the team that I expected going in and they've been intriguing defensively and they've had, you know, kind of cobbled it together enough offensively to, you know, be viable. Yeah, they've been, you know, those first two games with like a real disaster for me personally. I've just. I've just enjoyed watching Steph Curry again. It makes me feel like it's 2015. <laughs> that's, that's really a lot of what it is. Like he's he's just such an electric player, and I think we all missed him. And it's it's great to watch him again. Um, they're obviously like they're not they're actually they're not the most fun watch outside of him. Like honestly, like usually when I watch their games, like it's probably bad, but like I'll throw them on and then. I'll kind of just not watch when he's not on the floor. Well, I mean, the Warriors, because Curry likes playing the whole first and third, they are a very easy league pass team. If you yeah, want, if yeah. your goal is to have enjoyable yeah, basketball, going like, yeah, yeah, just like watch, watch parts of the first and third, or for, skip the beginning of the second and fourth, and then if it's close in the, if it's close after that, come back. Or if he like, has fifty five, like I can I just say, like the, the Sixers have made my life so much easier. Uh, with Doc Rivers because they've stopped doing like these crazy rotations every three minutes too. <laughs> like, I feel it's like true. I'm watching them as well. <laughs> it's like okay, yes, like this is this. Like, and I'm sure you do this too. Where you're like, and you're watching multiple teams. You're like, you're you're usually going to favor watching the starters on most rosters. Like, especially like being national, like, you kind of have to balance it out a little. Well, bit, and, right? and not only that, um, but you know, there are certain teams that you know that their backups are either whether it's that you want to watch them or you should or whatever else like you can cal you can calibrate it pretty well the warriors are the most extreme yeah. team of this in the league and they have been for a long time because like they're 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 largely unwatchable in the non curry minutes i mean that was a little different when they staggered curry and kd but generally speaking that's the way it's gone and um they tried so much stuff during the during the dynasty years and but i mean yeah you you get into all those all those different circumstances 
And so, but but then there, and there are some teams that have genuinely entertaining like bench units, like I, Indiana's when they play. I mean, it's not. I mean, Sabonis mm-hmm. is on the floor, so it's not the same thing. But like the Sabonis McConnell McDermott lineups are fascinating, and that's also some of the some of the stuff with Karras. Like I'm wondering how that's going to fit in. Um, and yeah, there are there are teams that are dramatically more engaging in those minutes, and so. I you know depending on how the how the day is structured and the games are structured sometimes I end up finding myself in certain places and distinctly not finding myself in certain places right. like like oh god some of the stuff Scott Brooks is running like oh yeah we're gonna play three point guards that don't shoot at the same time yeah that that's I mean some, <laughs> it's a lot of that kind of stuff that team is uh, I haven't caught in a lot of the Wizards just because again and again like you know you've had they've had uh, they've had a lot of injuries too right yes um, that team is so hopeless on defense it's. It's kind of hilarious when you like think about, and I, I'm really interested. I mean, obviously, it sucks that Thomas Bryant is out for the year with torn ACL. Yeah, but I had this moment in the preseason. Thankfully, we hadn't made our predictions yet, and so, it was, so we had a moment where, like, okay, you know, like oh, I had them in the they, playoffs. Man. They traded. They traded for Russell Westbrook. They added Robin <laughs> Lopez. Okay, they have some guys. Maybe, maybe like an Optia. The defensive film on him was better than we anticipated. It's like okay. They were the league's worst defense last year. Maybe they'll they'll try a little harder. They improve their personnel. And then what happened was I was watching their first preseason game. And I had this thought, which went on dunked on at some point, which is, oh, my God, they don't play a lot of their best defenders. Like, they're on the team, so kudos. But they weren't there, and so now with Robin, I don't know how that's how that's going to change. But yeah, that is that has been a limitation. They aren't thirtieth in defense; they're twenty fourth. So that's better, but not much better. <laughs> and and also, like right now, they're three and eight. They've dramatically underperformed their point differential, but it's early, so mm-hmm. that can be sample size sample size fun. And that is like that is the biggest challenge for me this year is trying to be patient with like some of these some of these situations where it's like oh like the raptors are one of like you know with 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 their record but also just some of just straight up how they played and miami had this weird stretch where they were getting they were getting worked in a bunch of games but they didn't have everybody healthy and everything else and it's just like what i'm generally doing is i'm it's kind of like i'm prospect scouting which is look for flashes See, try to figure out the important things and then just wait. You know, you don't don't have, we don't have to figure out all these teams in the first 10 to 15 games. We can wait until 40, 40, 50 games in and that's okay. The interesting thing with Miami is I feel like they aren't getting like the leeway the Lakers got while the Lakers also playing fantastic. So they don't really need a lot of leeway, Uh, but they also played, they also only got a 71 game break. They didn't get a championship out of it, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they gotta be pretty worn down as well. I'm not too worried about the heat. I think they'll eventually sort things out. Well, um, the other the the thing that I'm giving the heat a lot more leeway on as well is with how weird the East is right now, and how you know we'll see what happens with the Nets. Maybe they look like a powerhouse, and then this stuff doesn't matter at all. But Miami can have the confidence that they can they can beat whoever is thrown in front of them. So if if it ends up being that, you know, they stumble a little bit and they get the five seed. And so then all of a sudden you're facing the Bucks in the sec- and you're facing them in the second round. Okay, big whoop. Did that before. Done and dusted. And if they end up that they're the, I don't know, that they're the six and they have to face Boston or Philly in the first round. Okay, that's fine. You know, like, I, I think that... It's a confidence that typically only happens when a team has won championships. Like there, there are a couple of different examples of that. Like the Warriors were the two seed one year, and I don't think they particularly cared about getting the one. Uh, it was just you know they wanted their guys to be healthy and right and everything like that. But Miami, with the gauntlet they threw down last year, and that they have a lot of older guys and they the short the shortest off season we've ever had. Like I think there are a lot of reasons to think, and, and also like the the holdover players and everything. They haven't looked worse. Like that that's the you know if. Jimmy Butler or Goran Dragic were looking old, like oh crap, like they, they, you know, there's something really wrong there. Then I would be freaked out. I haven't seen that at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure there are a bunch of other a bunch of other things we could discuss, but I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Sirit Sohi for taking the time to come on. You can read her excellent work at Yahoo. You can also check out Dunkbait, which is a new project that she's working on, which is very cool. Uh, she actually has a piece on the Draymond generation that is going to be coming out. I believe it's on Friday. Really excited to read that. She and I talked about it a little before we before it aired, and I forgot to get to it on the podcast, and that's that's my fault. 
And also, of course, if you don't already, you should follow her on Twitter at Siratsohi, S-E-E-R-A-T-S-O-H-I. Love having her on. And this is a very fun time in the NBA now. They're, of course looming clouds and everything else but there's a lot of real intrigue on the court and whatever games are played we will appreciate them here and of course you can check out my other work nate duncan and i do dunked on public episode sunday night slash monday morning and then dunked and then that's the public episode and then prime only is the other four days um kind of commute days is the way you like to think about it and of course we did a hard end breakdown but a bunch of other stuff too and also nate and i are doing leak past digital we're doing one broadcast a week for Martin Luther King Day, we're actually doing an early game. We're doing Blazers Spurs, which is at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. So for people who have different timing availabilities, it could actually be really good for you. It's also a national holiday for those in the U.S. So many of you will have it off. You can watch that game with us. Also, written work at The Athletic, working on some 2021 stuff. Also today, collaborative Harden breakdown with Sam Vecini and Seth Partnow, both of whom are regular guests on this podcast. That was really, really fun and enlightening and over 6,000 words. And my own, you know, my own breakdown. I was a part of another thing there and lots of other stuff in the works. I'm submitting a piece probably later today as well. So you can keep an eye on all of that. If you have the desire to support this show. There are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can also subscribe and download. That's extremely important. Whatever podcast player you want, it's a big help. And you can also spread word of mouth if it's a single episode or if it's the show in general, whether that's social media or in person or whatever, just like that, it helps other people find the show and that's really appreciated. So if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take some time to read it. That is a promise and I will try to get back to you if I can, but the promise is to read it because that's what your input is supposed to do. And Twitter is too ephemeral and everything. That's why I tell people to go to my Gmail, but I don't put that everywhere so that it filters out the people who actually listen and care. So thank you so much for listening. Already have next week's guest lined up, but as those of you know, I'm a, I'm very superstitious about telling people who that is because then if it doesn't happen, they get their hopes up and all that. But I do have it lined up. Very excited about it. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.